Let me read to you from Romans chapter 11, verses 13 to 24. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. And he writes this, I am talking to you Gentiles. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew, thank you, a non-Jew. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, says Paul, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy, to arouse the Jews to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Remember that. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not per persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. It's a wonderful picture. Wonderful picture of husbandry with olive trees. And just recently, Cheryl and I had the privilege to fulfill a long-standing dream in that we went to Israel and went on a tour and we saw ancient olive trees that are nearly 2,000 years old. Wow. But enough of that. Let me just share with you, when I was in my early 20s, I worked with an Italian lady called Morello Bruno, and she grew olives in her backyard. Now, I'm talking the late 1960s, early 1970s here, and in that time, much of Melbourne was predominantly Anglo. 
there were some other um, nationalities here, but very much we were not multicultural at that time. And it was during that time that a lot of the post-World War II people from places like Italy and Greece came to Australia and sought to make a new life for themselves. And they brought with them their culture. Um, things like, well, not really pizzas. Pizzas were invented somewhere else, not in Italy. But they brought moussaka. And they brought a lot of their other dishes and foods and um, spaghetti, yes, ravioli and you name it, great stuff. It's commonplace today, but in those days, we'd never heard of it. And one of the things that they brought with them was olive trees. And Morella had in her backyard an olive tree. And on one special occasion, she brought some of her homegrown olives into where we worked to share with us. They were soaked in brine. And I think they had been soaked for a few months in brine. And they tasted amazing. I had never, ever tasted olives before. And this gift of hers began my love affair with olives. I love them. Today, I love olives marinated. I love them in salads, on pizzas. I love anything served with or cooked in olive oil. Olives are for me as shrimp were for Bubba in the movie Forrest Gump. <laughs> you know that movie? Yeah. So, what do we know about this amazing fruit? And olives are actually a fruit. Firstly, they are among the oldest known cultivated trees in the world. Did you know that? No. Being native to many parts of the Middle East, including Israel, Palestine, and ancient records of their use date back at least 5,000 years of recorded history. That's recorded history. How much pre-recorded history were olives also part of life? I don't know. Secondly, through the hot and dry summer months, particularly in places like the Middle East, olive trees are often the only greenery to be seen. When everything else is almost lifeless, the olive tree thrives because it has deep roots to reach down to where there is water. They can reach water where no other tree can. Thirdly, their leaves have been designed by God to even draw in the moisture of the early morning dew. And I don't know many other trees that do that. So an olive tree... If you want to go, if it's hot and dry, go and water of the night time. Leave the water on the leaves because the olive tree will soak up that moisture, not just through the roots, but also through the leaves. That is amazing. 
And these two factors help create a tree which can produce fruit in the harshest of the summer seasons and can give abundantly at harvest time in autumn when all else is seemingly barren. Because of its ancient heritage, the olive tree is synonymous with the land of Israel in the Bible. We only need to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8. Remember, Deuteronomy was written in the time of Moses, which is 3,400 years ago. Listen to this. The promised land is described as a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. Wow. And as such, in ancient times, the olive harvest was integral to the economy and well-being of Israel because olives are not only... Whoops. There we go. Olives are not only a food source, but their oil is highly valued for medicinal purposes, fuel for lamps, as well as ceremonial anointing. In Bible times, because olive oil was seen as a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit, olive oil was used in many religious ceremonies when anointing prophets, when anointing priests, and anointing kings at the commencement of their ministries and service. Of special interest... The Hebrew word Messiah, which we know the Greek word Christ, but the Hebrew word Messiah is not a name. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his surname or his family name. It's a title. And it comes from the Hebrew word that simply means the anointed one, which of course is a reference to the anointing with Olive oil. So the word Messiah has a direct reference to the anointing with olive oil. On the east of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, stands a mountain ridge called the Mount of Olives. Now, a few weeks ago, we were standing on that mountain ridge, the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Kidron Valley, looking across to the eastern wall of Jerusalem. Amazing. What an experience. Now, once upon a time, the whole of that mount was covered in olive groves, olive trees. Today, there's one little walled section that they call the Garden of Gethsemane. The rest of the Mount of Olives is covered with housing and schools and um, uh, high-rise buildings. And, of course, they've pulled up a lot of the olive trees to make way for a cemetery. A, a huge cemetery, one of the biggest cemeteries I've ever seen. But anyhow, that was the Mount of Olives. And in the days of the Lord Jesus, this area was covered in olive groves and it was here 
that on his last evening before his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane and we prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is of interest is that the name Gethsemane literally means olive press. The whole mountain was covered in olive trees. At harvest time, they would have brought the olives to this garden area where the olives were pressed to extract the olive oil. In those days, the olives were usually harvested in autumn, which is September, October, and the fruit was gathered by young men climbing an olive tree and shaking or beating it with rods. They would climb up in the olive tree, they'd have a stick, and they'd see the olives, and they'd just bash the, the branch. And of course, the, the ripe olives would just fall to the ground, they'd be collected or picked up in a blanket or a basket, and they'd be taken away. The olives that fell onto the ground were then put into oil. I had to do this. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. And some of those trees there are nearly 2,000 years old. Amazing place. Anyway, the olives that fell or were collected were then put into an olive press. And basically, it's a circular stone area. The inside of the stone is carved out. They then have a spindle in the middle of the stone and you can see a pole, and on the end of the pole is another stone. It's a stone wheel. And as you push the pole around, so the wheel rolls around inside the big stone and crushes the olives. That's called the olive press or, or uh, the crushed olives. The oil then ran out of small channels in that major big stone. And it was collected and it was stored in vats. This, this first amount of olive oil that was crushed was considered to be the best olive oil. Today, we call it virgin olive oil. It's the first crushing. That's what it simply means. What happened to the pulp after they'd extracted the oil? What happened to the pulp? Well, they would then collect the pulp, they would put that into woven, uh, like with grass, woven baskets that were flat and then they came across and there was an opening in the top and they would put the pulp into those reedy baskets and then they would take them, they would put one basket on top of the other and in another place they had a different kind of press and it was a large stone that pressed down on these layers of baskets. And whatever olive oil was left in the pulp was squeezed out. And in that way, through this wooden press, they extracted the very last drops of oil. And we saw, we saw this taking place. This oil that came out the second, this was not of the finest quality but it was usable for lighting the clay oil lamps in people's homes. 
Nothing was wasted. The dry pulp was then put back to fertilise the trees. So everything was used. This process in obtaining the olive oil provides for us a powerful metaphor illustrating the death of our Lord Jesus and the cost of salvation. Because as the Lord Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was as if he was being shaken, like the young men used to shake the branches of the trees. It was as if Jesus himself, when he was praying, was being shaken. He contemplated his impending death on the cross and what it meant to be made sin for us. Jesus was troubled. He was pressed and deeply distressed. Mark chapter 14, 33 are the words. Yet he submitted to the will of God, saying, Not my will, but yours be done. As the olives were beaten and shaken off the trees, so in that garden in prayer, Jesus was beaten by the weight of sin that was being put on him. Also, like the olives, following the, his arrest, the Lord Jesus endured beatings and bruisings. At his mock trial, the Lord Jesus was beaten just as, as the olive tree was shaken and beaten. Matthew 27.30 says, They spat upon him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And Luke chapter 22, verse 63, the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. Just as the olives which fell from the shaking and beating were then put into the olive press for crushing, so after his shaking and beating, the Lord Jesus was crushed and crucified. It was as though he was put into the olive press to be crushed and bruised by the load of our sin and the full weight of the wrath of God that our sin deserved. As the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. As the bruising and crushing of olives was a useful process for food, light and healing, so in a similar way, the Lord Jesus now is our spiritual food. As he said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Also, the Lord Jesus is our light, not only our food, but our light. In John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And the Lord Jesus is our healing. Just as the olives were used for food and light and healing, so Jesus is our healing. Didn't he say in Mark 2.17, those who, have, who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. Sin is a state of being of sickness and unwellness. Sin is not a natural part of our humanity. It is a state of unwellness. And this, we, this is not how we were created. And this is not and never will be a normal part of our lives. We should never normalise sin of any kind. Sin is sin and it should never be normalised. We live in a society today that is normalising so much that is actually sin. This is not how God created us to be. It is our sin that has alienated us from God our Creator and it is through Christ's death on the cross for our sin that our relationship with God is now healed, is now put right and our fellowship with the Lord restored. Jesus came to restore us to what is normal and that is a life, living a life without sin. And that work of restoration will be completed the moment of our death. As the olive tree was central to the life and economy of the nation of Israel and a symbol of the presence and peace of God with his people, so the Lord Jesus is central to the Christian life. And the cross of Calvary is an indispensable symbol of our eternal salvation. And as we consider the importance of the symbol of the olive tree, from ancient times it has been viewed as a symbol of peace and reconciliation. In the book of Genesis, we read how the dove brought back to Noah a fresh Olive branch, yes. The dove had an olive branch in its beak to let Noah know that the flood had subsided. It was a symbol of God's restoration of the land. And as such, the olive branch has become a symbol of good news in our lives, of the presence of the peace of God. The symbol of the olive branch was also adopted in the early Christian church. It wasn't just for the Jews. It's also for the Christian church. In our reading, the Apostle Paul called unfaithful humanity as a grelio, a wild olive branch. And God's people, God's church, as a holy and disciplined olive tree. 
When the wild olive branch is grafted into the tame olive tree, it acquires the attributes of the holy and pruned tree. In a similar way, humanity becomes Kalielios, a tame olive tree, when it becomes grafted into the Lord as part of his people. We need to be grafted into the Lord just as the wild branch is grafted into the root structure of the olive tree. In the early Christian uh, church, the art of the olive branch appeared with a dove. The dove derives from the simile of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, who is the one to bring peace, God's peace and God's assurance to our lives. If you remember when Jesus was baptised in the River Jordan, as he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God in the form like a dove descended upon him. It is a symbol of God's peace and assurance. And in the catacomb, catacombs in Rome, there is a depiction of three men over whom hovers a dove with an olive branch. In the 5th century AD, the symbol of a dove with an olive branch had become established as a Christian symbol of peace. In more modern times, the olive tree is not only associated with Jesus' death, but an olive branch has also been used as a peace symbol in many countries. One only needs to look at the national symbol for Israel and how it embraces the use of two olive branches, one on the left and one on the right of the menorah. In Israel, the olive branch is a symbol of the presence and peace of God. In March 1780, the great seal of the United States depicted an eagle grasping an olive branch in its right talon. The olive branch has 13 olives and 13 olive leaves to represent the original 13 colonies of the United States. Even there, the presence of God is symbolically represented for the nation of the United States. And on the 7th of December 1946, the flag of the United Nations was adopted and it consists of a world map surrounded by two olive branches. Even the United Nations acknowledges in the symbol of the olive branches the peace that only God can bring to the world. The olive branch is also a symbol of peace among Arab folk tradition. In 1974, Yasser Arafat, the then Palestinian leader, brought an olive branch to the United Nations General Assembly and he said these words, Today I have come bearing an olive branch and a freedom fighter's gun. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Do not let the olive branch fall from my hand. That's what Yasser Arafat said. Do not let the olive branch fall from my hand. The implication was two, twofold. You can let the gun fall from my hand. You can give me a reason not to use it anymore. But also the acknowledgement that God is the ultimate one to bring peace. Brothers and sisters, there is much we can learn from the humble olive tree, its branches and its fruit. Not only does it point us to the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice for us, it also points us to a future of peace with God and a peace which many hope for and long for but cannot find because they neglect to acknowledge and make God central in their lives. We know that the world is often a very difficult and challenging place. Yet are we not called upon to be just like the olive tree? The very roots of our life of faith and trust in God should go very deep and not remain shallow and superficial. Unfortunately, there are far too many people who call themselves Christian, but who live very shallow and superficial lives. They never immerse themselves in the Word of God. They never gather regularly with God's people in worship of the Lord. And they never spend time in regular prayer before the Lord. They live superficial and shallow lives. And guess what happens in the tough times to the, the, to the shallow-rooted trees? They die. If we are truly to be the Lord's anointed, we must make sure that our roots of faith are sunk deep down into the Word of God deep down into the worship of the Lord, deep down into prayer, so that when the harsh events of life confront us, we can flourish. It is by faith and prayer that we are enabled to deepen our relationship with God so that we can receive life-sustaining encouragement and nourishment through His Spirit and become fruitful for him, even in the most difficult and driest of times. The olive tree is a wonderful metaphor for us to contemplate and to meditate upon. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, since you have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, live in union with him. Keep your roots deep. Keep your roots deep in him. Build your lives on him. Build your branches and your, your, your leaves and your fruit. Build your lives on him. Become stronger in your faith as you were taught. Brothers and sisters, May the anointing of God's Holy Spirit truly be upon each and every one of us.
just as the anointing of olive oil, which was shaken, beaten, bruised, and crushed, as we seek to be faithful examples and witnesses to the glory and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for what we can learn from the olive tree today. We thank you that as in Jesus, the olives are good for food. We thank you that as in Jesus, the oil of the olive tree is good for healing. We thank you that as in Jesus, the oil of the olives is good to bring light to our lives. We bless you, Lord God, for all that we can learn, and may we grow deeper, ever deeper into you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's rise and sing once more that hymn.
to save but Jesus Christ alone. It's not only people who can faint, even uh, computers and projectors can have a brief faint. Thanks guys for getting us back on track. Well done. It's a hot day. Go and find a cool place and rest and just spend time with the Lord this afternoon. And may you find His peace, His joy, His assurance, His love, His grace, His mercy, all sufficient as you put your roots deep into Him. To Him be all glory and honour. Amen.